holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thanks for being here as always. This is the second Arscast in two days. If you want to hear all about the Southampton game, the 1-1 win, I was going to say it feels like a win, the 1-1 draw with Southampton, myself and James had a conversation about the game yesterday, so there is an Arscast there for you to listen to. If that's what you fancy, if you haven't listened to it already, go back, check it. It's there. It's right there. Just push the button, download, stream, stick it in your ears. It is all there. Today, something a little bit different. I'll be joined in a couple of moments' time by Clive Palmer, who you know from the Arsenal Vision podcast, I'm sure. We're going to talk about culture and identity and changing cultures and changing things at football clubs and resistance to that change and how difficult it can be, dressing room power um, and putting in place structures and plans and strategies and things like that. So that's coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. But of course, I think we have to acknowledge one of the most amazing things to happen this week. And no, I'm not talking about Arsenal scoring a goal from open play. It's even more amazing than that. This comes from the midweek games, and they were having one of those, you know, one of the shows where the guys sit around and talk about football while watching the football. And this was Tim Sherwood, former Tottenham player, former Tottenham manager, former Aston Villa manager. You might remember him from such FA Cup finals as 2015. The scene, it's 1-1 between Liverpool and Tottenham. Liverpool have a corner late in the game, and Tim Sherwood, he's not that worried. Not too worried about these corners. I mean, it might come back to bite me here, but I think Tottenham have got the dominant, dominancy in the air there, you know, so I'm not sure anyone can get ahead on the first ball for Liverpool, apart from that one. Oh, oh Tim! Oh, it's Firmino in the 90th minute! Wow, what a header. What an incredible header that is. I mean, it's up there with uh, the Steve McLaren versus Iceland thing. And if you don't know what I'm talking about there, just Google Steve McLaren Iceland or put it in YouTube. You will find uh, a clip which will brighten your day. And we all need that right at this moment in time, given what's going on with Arsenal. So thank you very much indeed to Tim Sherwood for the comedy moment of the week. Right. Time to get on with the show and a conversation that cropped up this week on Twitter between myself and uh, Clive and uh, Elliot at Yankee Gunner. Uh, on Twitter was about culture and the idea of culture at a football club, whether it's important, whether it's necessary, whether it is something that we should spend too much time worrying about. Do we only worry about it when times are good? Is it a is it an issue when things are going badly? But maybe it could also be a reason or part of the reason why things are going badly. So with me to talk about all that from the Arsenal Vision podcast, it's Clive Palmer. Hi, Clive. 
Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to not talking specifics about Arsenal for just a little while. I'm sure towards the end of this conversation, we might bring it back around to to what's happening at Arsenal. Um, but are you on board with the idea of culture at a football club being an important thing, a, a crucial, fundamental thing? And and if so, how do you define culture at a football club? It's a difficult one, right? So footballers, they tend to be um, quite robotic in some ways. You know, thinking back almost like to the army, it's almost like you have to be certain places at certain times. Mm. You've got to be there for training. You've got to be this place time for your dinner, this time for the meetings. And it's quite structured. And so within a football club, there are, you know, normalities of behaviour. And so a culture literally is you know, a number a number of behaviours by which we live by, mm. right? So, and every club has its own culture. Everyone, every, every club has its own what's okay, I can do this, what's not okay. Most clubs have a massive fine system. <laughs> so if you don't do things right, yeah. you get fined, right? Somebody in the dressing room looks after the fines. And it's almost like the way where the, the players look after the internal culture amongst themselves, which underpins the overall... I don't want to say non-negotiables or Ten Commandments, whatever you decide they are in your yeah. club, those key pillars of your culture, things like, you know, hard work, determination, trust, you know, those sort of, those statements mm. above the CPO, you know, open communication, respect each other, those sort of real nice, flowery, soft culture statements that sit above and drive those behaviours, right? So, and they're brought in by various leaders in the club. So each team has its own culture, and it's really just a list of behaviours. This is okay, and this is not okay. This is what we aspire to be within our culture when it's working 100%. Right. So, I mean, you're talking about a team culture there, which I think is quite interesting, and certain things are are expected, set in stone. Professionalism, and you listed off some, and, and you know, things like punctuality uh, are part yeah. of that team culture, you know, where everybody should feel, uh, even though there are obvious discrepancies between the status of, of people within the squad, you know, that there are rules which are in place for everybody. So if you're the guy who's earning 350 grand a week, or you're the guy who's earning 3,500 pounds a week, if you're supposed to be out on the training pitch at 1030, you're out on the training pitch at 1030. If you're not, you're getting the fine, uh, you know, whether it's a percentage of your wages or whatever it might be, you know, that's what's, that's what's going to happen. And those are the things that, that help define you. Um, you know, is that separate from the culture of a club itself or um, how much does that lead into the playing style? Could that be incorporated into culture, if you like? Because, you know, down the years, you've always heard about these clubs that play, you know, traditionally, supposedly really nice attacking football. You used to hear it a lot about West Ham, you know, the West Ham way. Yeah. Uh, and even, you know, uh, some other London clubs who've been associated with nice football, even if for many years, you know, they haven't really achieved that, um, you know. So how do you, how do you um, mix all those things together uh, or can they be separate things like your team's culture your manager's culture your club culture or is there a need to sort of bring them all together under one one umbrella 
I think what I spoke to was really around team performance, really a, t- a team culture. So, you know, you normally start with why we are here, you know, then we build our trust, let's build our goals, let's understand what we're doing, and then how are we going to go about that as a group? And then basically we push forward from there on and hopefully get to a place where we're performing in a high-performance type way. But then the type of things you'll talk about there, Andrew, may be things that are really around the identity of the club, right? So... Mm. About being football people, we we identify certain clubs with how they play. Even down to now, we're so much more informed down to the system by which they play. You know, if I say Barcelona in, in the last ten years, we all know straight away the system that they play. Yeah, right. You know, the same for Man City in recent years. Right, and and so so I think that's something that we've potentially lacked. You know, I say we. You know, what I'm talking about. Yeah, we've potentially lacked. And I think we've potentially gone through so many changes within the club that it's hard for us to identify what Arsenal really are on the pitch systemically mm-hmm. because we've been challenging ourselves to try to mix a group of people together to find a system for them rather than the other way around. And then you look at the change off the pitch and then you think to yourself, well, what is our identity and culture there? Because it's those leaders that define that culture, right? So the key manager coach he will bring that culture into the team aspect the playing aspect so if you look at from a behavior point of view because of the, the change is that culture strong you look at off the pitch identity side of things and you think about the duality of ownership how that's changed different chief execs different scouts different contracts guide different head of football well how can we have a strong culture off the pitch that's that's just stable and sustained yeah, we can't possibly have right. So, so this is where we are at the moment. We're looking at ourselves, or we should be looking at ourselves in a very strong way, and asking ourselves, what are we from a point of view, and what do we want to be from a culture point of view? And some of the situation we're seeing right now is we have maybe a group of players that have been here as long or longer than some of the leaders within the club. Yeah, and I think that's where the duality and the fight is going on right now, potentially, depending on what you read and believe. (laughs) Um, Potentially, we're having a bit of a struggle laying down a new culture versus the old culture. And I think that is the holding pattern that we're in at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something there, you know, between culture and identity, whether they're one and the same or whether they feed into each other, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Because it feels like, you know, one of the things that Mikel Arteta talked about specifically was was changing the culture at the club. And, you know, regardless of what people think about him now or the job that he's doing now, I don't remember too many people uh, objecting to the idea that he might come in and be a little more hard. And I think that's yeah. kind of the message that we got from him. When he talked about changing the culture, he talked about, you know, how we live at this football club, the work that we do, uh, so on and so forth. You know, I don't think there were too many people going, oh, these poor guys, don't go too hard on them. It was more about get out the biggest fucking stick you can find and start ba- bashing it around, metaphorically speaking, or in certain cases, actually get a big fucking stick and hit some of them around the backside for all I care. But, you know... It's it's a difficult thing to implement because at a football club, we all know the old adage about how it's easier to sack a manager than sack the entire squad. Um, and there's a kind of safety net 
in there, isn't there, for, for players because they know, like more than likely, it's not going to be a case that six or eight of them are going to be out the door. It's much easier just to get rid of one guy and bring in someone else who could try and squeeze a little bit more out of them. So coming into a club where, where things have been ingrained, where you know it's comfortable, where there isn't the pressure to perform, and I don't just mean like in the 90 minutes. I'm talking very broadly here where you can underperform for lots of your Arsenal career and get a new contract or be yeah. offered a new contract or just go to the end of your contract if you feel like it. Because you know why the hell not? I'm very well paid. I can just sit here and see out my contract and and that's fine. And th- And that kind of thing is is really difficult for for any manager, and I don't just mean Mikel Arteta. If somebody else came in and tried to do the same thing tomorrow, I am quite sure that there would be a measure of pushback from some of the people who quite enjoy things the way they are. Absolutely. I think um, when Arteta came in, he started talking about his non-negotiables, which is the set of behaviours that we just spoke to, whichever they are to to them. He didn't go into detail, because that's personal to the dressing room. But he did talk about his football blueprint. He did speak about how he wanted to play, be a possession team, control the ball, attack as much as possible. I'm looking at the two things. I'm thinking, great, he's attacking the culture. Now he's talking about football that we all like, you know, nice buzzwords. Yeah. I'm thinking this is exactly what we need because of exactly what you alluded to there, Andrew. I was tired of seeing players come in, get well paid, and not have to produce. I was tired of seeing players hoodwink the fan base as they're coming towards the end of their contracts, then walk out for free. You know, mm. I was tired of seeing multiple mistakes on the football pitch by certain key players. You know, we'll argue to the, to the end of our days about players' talent and potential, and we'll agree and disagree. But I think there were some major moments in our recent history that need to be addressed to show that within this culture, that's not okay. But they're still here. Yeah. And they're still here making the same mistakes. So what does that tell you about our culture, how our standards have fallen over the last few years? You can do these things and you're still here. You can make huge mistakes which cost this club European representation at the top table and you're still here. You can disappear in certain games and you're still here. You can give penalties away and you're still here. You can throw your shirt down and tell the fans to do one and you're still here. You know? Yeah. This all says... It's okay. It's okay. You can come to Arsenal. You can enjoy yourself in the centre of London. Go see a few museums. Play in a beautiful stage and a beautiful training ground. And it's okay to do that and you will still be here. It's okay to pop off to Dubai and come back and you'll play the next game. Mm. And this is the stuff we have to decide. Are we prepared to back someone who's going to challenge this in a consistent way, we hope? Or are we just going to let this continue? And then it comes back to the question of who do we trust to apply the standards and the culture that this club, in my opinion, so dearly needs before he even talks about producing good football? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's, you know, we have to talk about that phrase, I think, non-negotiables. It's a really good one. And I, I like it when a manager is, is up front. But I think we also have to recognise that within football, um, it is a, a complicated industry in that you're dealing with uh, millionaires who yeah. are temperamental, egotistical, are told from 
minute one to minute the end of the day that they're great and everything about them is great um and i'm not saying all footballers are like that some of them are are you know decent and humble people and and you know but there are enough of those kind of characters um to make it challenging for a manager any manager you know if Arsene Wenger had his challenges with certain players down the years which he did and he was a hugely vastly experienced man who had you know a a lot of dealings with a lot of players and a lot of different um, incidents etc etc you know if he had his incidents with players a new manager is definitely going to have incidents with players and find things a a little bit difficult so the non-negotiables thing great but then you realize that actually it's kind of negotiable because of expediency, because yeah. of the team you want to select at the weekend, because you think, oh, shit, this guy who's been a dickhead, I actually think I need him. Now, maybe that speaks a lot to the, the makeup of the squad that you have, but you immediately find yourself having to, at least in the, the eyes of fans, uh, I think we should also recognize that we do not know everything. We have our view from the outside and on the inside things can be a lot less clear cut than we think or a lot more complicated than they appear to be. So, you yeah. know, all of these things feed into the the decisions, which isn't to defend them but just to try and understand them. That that you 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 set it out in black and white. This is what it is. This is non-negotiable. And all of a sudden people are saying, well, that that looks pretty fucking negotiable to me. You know, yeah. it it it's it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to keep on top of, particularly when, uh, like I said at the start, I think people bought into that in a really positive way because it's what a lot of us wanted to see. Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to see it. And I think the, the challenge is, you're absolutely right, we don't know everything. So we we don't know what these non-negotiables are. But we can probably guess they're a set of good behaviours, right, and bad behaviours. So, Do you think it's more, well, sorry, just to, sorry to cut it yeah. I mean, do you th- it strikes me, you know, that it's probably more to do with how you behave yeah. at London Colney than what you do in your free time, per se. I would definitely agree that within the team environment, within that culture, yeah. it's how you behave. And so when I read a couple of things today about lateness and punctuality, yeah, yeah. That, that is a worry, mate. That's a worry, because that's a basic Right, that is a basic. Um, the Willian thing, you know what? It didn't. It didn't smell right, did it? Before that, no. that game, and then we sort of, I, you know, I tried to brush it aside. Him, must, there must have been a good reason, but there obviously wasn't. That doesn't feel right, right? So, and then people, then once you show that little chink in your armor, then it's like, okay, what's what's non-negotiable then? Do you mm. see what I mean? And um, mm. you leave yourself open to critique. You leave yourself open to critique from outside the club, even though we don't know everything. And it sounds like you leave yourself open to critique with inside the club who do know what the rules of the road are. And those rules of the road have to be applied in a consistent manner for the people that know what those rules are and live by them every single day. Yeah. Remember, it's a situation. This is how we're going to not be. This is how we're going to live. That is exactly what we're talking about here. These are behavioural type rules of the road. And and I, again, if you're going to do it, you have to live it. If you're going to apply it, you have to apply it to everybody in a consistent manner. Now, the frayed edges, for me, they started to show at Leeds, funny enough, post-game interview um, about Pepe. That was the first time I thought, hmm, this doesn't feel very good. This feels like the pressure's starting to ramp up a little bit. And maybe there was issues before the game, which we may be now more aware of. 
So that to me was the moment when I think um, there were some questions being asked, maybe going the other way from the players to the management. And I think that's the, that's a moment in time that we may look back on and say, it started to go wrong there. Or was that the start of the of a new turn where we actually come out of it? Although I'm sitting there feeling very doubtful about that today, but I'm hoping that we can turn out of this hole that we're in. And maybe that period we're just going through right now, between Leeds and now, is the period that he needs to come through, the club needs to come through to pivot for a new direction. Yeah, well, look, I I hope so. I, you know, um, because I think part of the culture that exists at Arsenal, the one that we don't like, the one that we want to get rid of, is in no small part because of a lack of um, uh, leadership, seems like the wrong word, but something akin to that, in the sense that when Arsene Wenger was there, like he did things his own way, and he was, he was um, you know... He, he let some players away with more things than other players and, and all of that. We we know that. But yeah. there was a leader. There was somebody at the club who who you could look to and say, he is the figurehead. And then we went through this period where um, I think the ownership, because they trusted Ivan Gazidis, they, they put their eggs in his basket to assemble the the new structure post Wenger and then he left and then Mislintat left and then Raul had all the power and then I don't think Raul's uh, tenure as director of football is going to go down in Arsenal history in a way that we'll see him get a statue shall I put it like that um, well you won't be building it I know that no sure. I fucking won't <laughs> or I'll be building it out of yeah, anyway, never mind. But you know what I mean? So th- there were we've got to a point where the last 24 months or so um we've lost that leadership and there hasn't been anybody in charge, if you like, or the people who have been in charge have not been doing the right kind of job. They've been doing things which are perhaps n- at odds with the kind of culture that you want to create. And the people who are there and the players who are there have seen this and watched it and they go through the motions and and everything else and they don't have um, accountability. This is a word that, you know, I think we've used on the podcast and I'm sure you guys have over uh, at the Arsenal Vision podcast, accountability, that when you behave in a certain way, whether it's on the pitch, off the pitch, there are consequences or there at least appear to be consequences, you know, Um so trying to implement or trying to put in place a a new culture whereby it won't be tolerated if you do this or if you um, behave in a certain way, you're going to meet a lot of resistance. You're going to meet a lot of resistance and it's going to cause conflicts. I think it is going to, and we've seen, I mean, it's amazing when you lay it out, um, you know, some of the issues that we have had under Mikel Arteta. And in some ways, it's easy to look at those and think, well, this is an inexperienced manager, maybe somebody who is, you know, in time could turn out to be a better coach than a manager because the man management side of things is 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 a difficult part of it. And you think, well, maybe he's not good at that. Maybe he's not good at this, this side of the job, but maybe part of it um, is because 
when you try to change the way uh, your team and your players behave or what you expect from them and they kick back, you don't really have any choice but to kind of be be hard. Yeah, I think it's, it's – just let me take it back a little way. So yeah. to, with Wenger, when he was there, I, I was very much against him being all, all powering, particularly towards the end, because I felt we were too much in bed with him. The club was being running by his image. You know, he, I, I do feel that he definitely built the club in a way that suited him and, and empowered his strengths. And that's his prerogative as the leader of our club. But everything about Arsenal was our sin. And I didn't like that. I wanted it to be more federated. So when we started to have our, start to pull out our org charts, and do you remember those? Right? When we started to pull out our org charts, you know, my initial feeling was, yep, this is good. We've got layers in the club now. This is good. We haven't got a single point of beta. Great. And then we put Emery in charge. And Emery did okay for a short period of time. And then it fell apart in Baku. Right, so and then all of a sudden, the behaviours that he put in place, people didn't like it, didn't like how he communicated. Leads coming out of dressing room, uh, ex players talk about the players don't know what he's talking about. You're done, you're gone. Yeah. See you, mate. Then Arteta comes in after Freddie's little period, and he comes in and he comes in with Arsenal values. Great, somebody we know, um, we know him. He's played for us. Great, he's talking all the right things, but he's now. He's now laying down a set of rules to his players. They're thinking, well, yeah, that's good, but I'm sorry, you're not Arsene Wenger. Mm. You're you're not you're you might want to be the single point of failure, whether the club needs to do that or not, and that's a debate. It's a strong debate. One I didn't really think much about when initially did it, but now looking back, I'm thinking, did you need to do that? Did you need to empower him so much? Because now you're laying him up against somebody who's the greatest manager in our history. You're now saying we're going back to that model and yeah. by design you literally end up comparing the two and it's impossible to compare the two one's in his first job and one that's had a lifetime of management and so you immediately create a, a, a tug of war a duality between the old world and the new world and there are still us Wenger players here there are still players that have been signed by Emery's and some of them are not playing not even at the club anymore mm. and suddenly we got a situation where Arteta's coming. He wants him. He wants to implant his own culture on. But he can't really buy that many players in a COVID market because we can't sell anybody. So he's coming hard, maybe expecting to make changes on the playing staff, but he actually can't. You know, no one wants to buy him. We can't sell. We haven't got masses of money. So a couple of free transfers are coming by our friendly agents, shall we say? Mm. And that they haven't helped the culture, in my opinion. They haven't helped us progress going forward. And so in a situation where he's talking strong, but he can't back it with action. So if you're going to talk strong to people, they're thinking, well, I'm on the way out here. My livelihood's under threat. I better, I'm starting to internalize a number of players in our club, in our dressing room, that have will have a year to go in the summer or will be out of contact in the summer. We could easily see 10 to 12 players leave this club. Those 10 to 12 players right now, they know who they are. Mm. They, know, they know it's their... Do you think they're going to be running themselves into the ground? Do you think they're going to be talking about accepting these non-negotiables? Or are they going to be talking to our agents and internalised and looking for their next move? It's an incredible hodgepodge of a situation that he has to manage. And some of that he's done himself. Some of that he's not been advised well by the club. Particularly, I asked myself a question, I said the other day in the podcast, if we're offering Willian to this manager, we have to ask ourselves why we're doing that. 
if they're offering Cedric to him, why are we doing that? Why is his club doing that to him? Why are we? Why do we think we need to do that? I don't think we should be. Again, it comes back to our identity. We should be thinking about our playing identity going forward. Don't worry about, you know, why are we buying these experienced players? Like and why are we buying Lichstein and Socrates? Are we that bereft of leadership that we feel we have to go to these older guys to bring them into the club? Mm-hmm. David Louise? Is that our perception on the street that we've got no leaders in the club so we better get them in the dressing room? That sort of stuff really concerns me. And he has to manage this. And I'm afraid at the moment he's, he's, he's failing. Yeah, because yeah. we're sitting there in fifteenth. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't back the results in, in any way. Um, but I do think where we are, what we've got, what we're dealing with, what he is trying to deal with, is a consequence of not just the decisions that he has made since he took over. You know, almost a yeah. year ago. I think what he is and what any manager would have to deal with, you know, are the 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 guys like you say who've who've been part of the the Wenger era. Um, who've been part of the Emery era, part of the Sanyehi era, um, all these eras, all these things working together, um, people doing things their own way without any kind of defined strategy. And, and that's, you know, that's a, a big issue for me is, is strategy. Um, I, I just want to ask you who you think should set the culture and the identity at a at a football club because at the moment we're looking at Mikel Arteta and if it doesn't work for him or if it doesn't work out for him or if results keep going badly and the inevitable happens we go back to the drawing board and we yeah. bring in somebody I don't know who but somebody who's going to come in and have some ideas and who's going to want some players and specific kinds of players and want to play a specific kind of football. And then he realizes that, you know, he can't because he's got a squad that's bloated and kind of crap and he doesn't have the resources to do it. So he ends up doing the same thing that the other guys have done and he tries to fudge it around and make the best of what he's got, you know. Um, But we lose whatever culture... Arteta has tried to implement or whatever uh, change he's tried to implement. So you go back to square one. And this is why I think the, uh, there was, I don't know if you saw this there, the fans forum meeting during the week where Vinay and Edu were talking and they were saying that they're going to bring somebody in to, to replace Husfami who did the contracts. Uh, Two weeks to the transfer window opens and there's some contractual issues pressing anyway, guys. You might want to get that guy in. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No rush here, guys. (laughs) Don't worry about it. But they're not going to get somebody to replace Raul Sanyehi because the power that Sanyehi had was divested into uh, Arteta and Edu. You know, is there not a need for that to be set from higher up? That, that, okay, this is how we're going to play. Yep. These are the players that we feel as a club we need to help us play that way. Not the, not the player that the agent mates brought in. Not those guys, the easy signings to make, the deals which benefit the player and the agents and maybe other people far more than they benefit the football club and the team. That's not what we do. This is how we're going to play. These are the players that we're going to play it with. And you, you're going to pick the team, you're going to manage the team, and when results are good, we're going to love you. And when results are bad, we're going to get somebody else in. And they're going to use these players, but we know the players that we have. And whoever's coming in knows the players that we have and knows what's expected from them. And this is where I worry 
a lot about how many eggs we've put in the Arteta Edu basket. You know, I know they've barely had a window. They had the end of the last window after Sanyehi um, left and and it was a crazy market because of COVID and everything else. And logic would tell you maybe, you know, you need more than one window to put things right and to bring in the kind of players that you want. Um, but, you know, deals like Partey and Gabriel are, are promising and they make you think, okay. And then deals like Willian make you wonder... It's just going to be kind of more of the same. So, you know, is there not a danger of putting too many eggs in in the the Arteta basket? So, if when inevitably at some point he has to go, and I'm not saying it should be next week. You know, it could be a while from now. Um, I'd like to see us win games again and turn things around. But but when that happens, you don't have that being set from on high, unless that's Edu's role. Do you think? Well, yeah, I'm sure if the club are listening to this, and they could well be, um, they'll be thinking, well, we've got Eddie to do that role. We've got Eddie to do that role. But you know what? The fact you're asking me that question means you're not convinced. And how can we be convinced? Mm. Somebody that's quite young and experienced, and I'm not against youth, by the way. I think it's good that we've got fresh youth in the club. The club has been aged historically, and I'm there. I wasn't a fan of that. So I'm really glad that we freshen things up. But it's freshening things up and it's overexposing people. Right, so we're yeah. overexposed to Arteta. Could we put too many eggs in that basket? And Edu's got, you know, a young exec, lots of good track record in South America, not much track record in Europe. Well, last time I looked, we played in Europe. You know, we're trying to sort that one out. We played in Europe. So I'm thinking, well, actually, the Raul, we lost Raul, and maybe that's the more important role to fill than the head of contracts guy. The head of contracts guy could be, you know, I don't care what his name is, mm. right? As long as you do that job. But we need, I do think we need a more visible leg to this chair. That third leg needs to be somebody of stature because it creates a protected state for your club. It, it creates some sustainability. So there I was a few months ago watching us jump around Wembley and join ourselves. At no point in that moment did I think we'd be here now. No point. No, and it's obvious that the club felt the same. Right, so, and everything was rosy, and so we've overinvested. This is just classic. You've got to mitigate that risk. If something was to go wrong, then what? You know, and we haven't done that. We haven't acted like a proper organisation. And I finally wanted to trim the club down. Finally wanted to get some people out. We weren't against any of that, um, but think about how you're going to go go forward. If we lose five home games on the trot, which we nearly just did, and the fans are in uproar. Then what? Mm. You know, that's that's how you run a sports organisation. You can't have, when players and agents see this, by the way, if they look around and see a shambles going on, they're going to they're gonna take the mickey. They're going to be, you heard me say about opportunities before. We've been, we've been riddled with opportunities over the last few years. Yeah. Just absolutely riddled with it. And we've just allowed them to walk into our club, knock down the front door and take our money out. Just literally take our money out laughing. Sell us a little dream. It's not they're walking in sending us double glazing. Get out. I don't want it. I don't want it. I want to do my own way. We've, we're sitting around taking Chelsea's ex-player. This is not the culture and the identity of an elite football club. It needs to change. you know. And, and some of that is football decisions. And some of that is the identity and the culture by which we're viewed and perceived 
and and when you start to stack it up and read it and read the changes and read the things that we've done wrong, read the things that haven't worked out for us. Um, it's a it's a long list, mate, and it's yeah. pretty damning. I think this is a really interesting aspect of it because, you know, I think we still, and maybe people at the club still think of us as a Champions League club, but we haven't been a Champions League club for what four years now. Yeah, um, we we make decisions like we still think we're a Champions League club. We make decisions which are, in isolation, I think justifiable, but it, as part of a wider strategy, if you can call it a strategy, because I don't think it is. I think there's a lot of kind of making shit up on the spot when it comes to to our recruitment and and things like that. You know, they they just don't stack up and they don't produce what you need them to produce. So is it kind of, is the way forward tied in with the need to step back and think about and accept what we actually are now and put in place a plan, a strategy for what we want to be again? Because if we keep behaving like a Champions League club even though we're not, we're never going to get back to, if that's the promised land or whatever it is, we are never going to get back there. You know, you can't make any kind of progress without at least acknowledging that things are not what they used to be, that we are not the football club that, that we were told we would be. How many times? You know, we could do things that excite you. We're going to compete with the likes of Bayern Munich, et cetera, et cetera. We are so far removed from that now that there's almost, I know to use your phrase, you know, blow it up, but there is a need to kind of press the reset button. And even in our heads as fans, and it's a difficult one to accept. It is a difficult one to accept when you spend so long in those those upper echelons, when it's now gone so far down the road that you kind of need to turn back and, and just kind of retrace your steps and think, well, how the fuck did I get here? How do I get to where I want to go? You know, we have to think about what we want to be, not what we used to be. I absolutely agree. I think what we need to do is get used to this word called acceptance. Right? We have to accept who we are and where we are right now. Not who we used to be, mm. not who we've been historically acceptance so it's much like anybody who's, who's facing any problems in life you have to accept you have a problem mm. right you you know and sometimes you know if you uh, when people are struggling with alcohol they're struggling with things addictions or things like that it's it's a real struggle it's a real struggle and so it's almost like every now and again we we pop down the off license and go and do something that we used to do you know with a, with a deal or a contract that's not really what we should be doing you know, based on where we are, based on where the club is strategically, based on our dressing room, based on our contract situation, we we really are struggling with our own selves at the moment. And it, and it's hard. It's really hard, Andrew. We've been around a few. We've done a few laps between us, right? We've been around. <laughs> yeah. We've been, we've seen some. We've seen some good and bad times, right? No, yeah. no drama. I've seen some really good times. Really good times. And. I've I've seen this for a little while now. I've just been a bit concerned about some of the things I understand, like the football side of things, you know, the, the choices of players, you know, when you choose certain players and you choose another one, it's very similar. And then another one, it's even more similar. Helms a minute here, the game's moving on. 
Yeah, I, I can challenge that because I can see that on the football pitch. That's just, and I will do that forever, right? But it's like, I just feel, okay, we're here. We have to accept we're here. And to be fair to Arteta, he has, a, a lot of his noises have been, we've got a long way to go. Mm. We are not where we need to be. Even we're winning, you were saying now. I'm thinking, tell me, I'm ready for Champions League. Be quiet. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I struggle with acceptance too, you know? And he gets there, we've got a long way to go. And then you turn around and you look inside and you've got to ask yourself, okay, we are here and we've been here. This is a five-year issue minimum. That's why we're here. We have to pivot. We have to change. The next job, Andrew, you know I mentioned Blow It Up about two years ago. Yeah. The next job is a Blow It Up job. There's nothing else to do. Right? The next person that comes in, if, unless if Arteta doesn't survive, the job is clear. What's he going to do? Is he going to modicode all this lot and give them new contracts? No chance. They're gone, aren't they? Mm. The next job is absolutely clear. It's clear. Much clearer than when Emery had it, when we when we half and halved and weren't sure if he's going to be the right person or not until he wasn't. This job now, right from now to the summer, is clear as you could ever imagine a job to be. There is only one thing to do. Change the playing squad. And then from therein, you can create a culture based on the people that you've hired. Yeah. Not the people someone else has hired, which is really challenging. Yeah, I was I was listening to you guys talk about Munchie um, yeah. and what he did at Sevilla. And the idea that, you know, it takes a long time to rebuild a squad makes a lot of sense. But uh, you can also do it quite quickly if you're smart and if you've got the right people in place Absolutely. and you look at what's coming up next summer right and you look at who who potentially is going to go like we assume Mesut Ozil is going to go we assume that Mustafi will go Socrates will go David Luiz will go there's three quarters of a million pounds per week off your wage bill then you look at players like Kolasinac like Shaka, who should go, you yeah. know, if 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 he stays beyond next summer, then we are not learning the lessons that we need to learn. Um, someone like Danny Ceballos, unless you know he uh, pulls it out of the bag between now and, and next June, he should go and back to back to Real Madrid. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of churn, a lot of churn naturally. I think we may have to push the boat out a little bit to sell Shaka or, or Kolasinac because, you know, they may not get the kind of offers um, which are commensurate with the wages that they're on at Arsenal. Um, certainly that's one of the reasons why it was difficult to move Kolasinac uh, last summer or in the last transfer window. But, you know, you're looking at then having to either bring in or promote a lot of young players or a lot of new players and this is where this is where i think it's really important for arsenal to have a genuinely a genuine plan a real proper dyed in the wool fucking nailed on plan about how we are going to rebuild because yeah. we can't just get to next summer and go oh shit all these guys uh right who are we going to who are we going to bring in? But when it comes to recruitment, obviously the players you bring in from your academy are going to be young. But when it comes to recruitment, you can't keep doing the Louise thing, the Willian thing, you know, the Licksteiner thing, the Socrates thing, the Cedric thing. Yeah. You just cannot do that 
if you want to be, um, if you actually genuinely are interested in rebuilding and improving, you have to, you have to target the market to bring in young talent. It doesn't have to be 18. doesn't have to be 19. You know, you can look at players in their early 20s who've got plenty of experience, you know, and, and that should be the focus of our recruitment uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's about whether or not the people who are in charge right now are still going to be in charge next summer. And if they're not, then who's putting in place their plan? You know, this is what worries me about it going wrong. It's not so much that I'm, I'm like overly invested in Mikel Arteta. Like a lot of people, I I feel uh, warm towards him because of his time as a captain and because of winning the FA Cup and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, what I want is my football club to be successful and my team to be successful. And, you know, uh, if there are casualties along the way at the playing staff or at managerial level, so be it. That's part and parcel. That's it's all in the game, you know. But... Yeah. The the worry that I have is if we've gone down the road with Edu and Arteta's plan and they get canned or I don't know who's 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 making the decisions who's going to bring in the next guy what's Josh Kroenke going to do um, you know Josh Kroenke and Vinay with all due respect who's a, a business guy you know yeah. where is where is the the football brain if you like, and I know where it is at the moment, it's in, it's in Arteta, um, but it appears to be um, struggling a little bit right now, obviously. It does. This is the uh, very similar conversation I had last night after our podcast. I said, it's not that I'm overly invested in Arteta, but I don't trust anybody else. I don't know anybody else. So you're really in a situation where I'm in a situation of who do I trust to make the next steps? Right, there's, there's nobody left. <laughs> We've been cleaned out. There's nobody left. Who do I trust? Uh, the, the ownership has been absent. Who do I trust to take some of the biggest decisions in our recent history? Mm. Because that's where we are. You mentioned about eight players. There. I can give you a few more. Lacazette in the last year of his contract. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then in the last year of his yeah. contract. I think Eddie's in the last year of his he contract. Is. Balogun's not even, he's well in the last year of his contract. So it's at all levels within the club. We have got some, we've got some major decisions to take. So it's not about who's doing a good job and who's not doing a good job. I want my club to be much better than it is today, much like everybody does. So who's going to take us there? Because if we fire everybody, there's nobody left. <laughs> but you know, if Arteta goes, well, you know what, Eddie's part of that as well. So then he goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm very strongly of the opinion that if Arteta gets the sack, Edu should also get the sack. Absolutely. And Edu's giving Arteta a little bit of support in the press every day. I'm thinking, mate, I hope you're not sitting too comfortable in your chair because yeah. I'm looking at you. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at you. If anything, you're on the rockier ground than the major is. If he gets free wins, he'll be fine. What about you? What are you doing? Mm. Your, your period's coming up in January and in the summer. And you better be tip top because there are lots of people who are looking at you very, very closely and will judge you in those periods. So no, I wouldn't be looking down from my eye hole saying, I support this, I support that. You've got a big job to do. And as far as I'm concerned, they're a partnership. So if one doesn't make it, they both don't make it. Then, Andrew, who's going to be looking after the team? Is it going to be the chef? 
Because <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm we not did. sure who else is there at the moment. We, to, um, yeah, we had this question. The we had this question for the Irish Cast Extra the other day, and I, I meant to ask it of James. Uh, I apologise. Um, I think it was on our Discord, but somebody saying like, if Arteta gets the sack, like who takes temporary charge of the team? Like who's is it? Steve Bold. I mean that's yeah. that's all that's all that's Steve, there. Steve Bold and and Per. And Per Mertesacker, but you know, Per doesn't want to be that guy. He doesn't. No. You know, you could see how uncomfortable he was in the period where he was he was trying to give some support to Freddie. And, you know, even then, when Freddie was the interim manager, all we had was Per, the goalkeeping coach, and and fucking Doris the tea lady on the bench beside him. <laughs> you know, so if and, and again, look, I just want to be clear. I'm I'm not saying that if there's a big decision to be made, it shouldn't be made just because there isn't anyone there. But the fact that there isn't anyone there should be a significant worry. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a there's something called Lean Six Sigma, where you have lean organisations where you get more, we get less people to do more things. Mm. And but we we've, we've really nailed that one. <laughs> we, we've nailed that one, and now we're in a situation where there's like it feels like there's two people left in the club. Yeah, and uh, that's what it feels like from here. I'm sure that's not, obviously it's not the case, but that's how it feels, and that is not healthy for any organisation to have that lack of um, depth and too much of a single point of failure. It's not helpful. We've done it for years. We've gone back to it because we felt comfortable with it. But how can you be comfortable if we... I don't think Arthur have quite managed the fact that um, we've grown up as a club. So we've, we've grown into this organisation. We, I think we, I think we became too bloated. But now we haven't quite managed the size of the club we actually are. We haven't quite known how to act We've been caught between two stools, between trying to be a little bit cute sometimes in transfer market where we don't have to be. We can just be who we are, mm. you know. By, you know, don't don't be cute, you know. Just just buy Kante, don't buy Shadow. Just buy Kante. Pay his brother a couple of million quid. Just buy him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because that'll benefit the club. You know what I mean? That'll benefit the club. Don't don't be spoiled up by your morals. Just do the right thing for the club, you know. And um, and, and that's it's those type of things. And um, sometimes when I see those things, the press, I think, you know what? I'm I, I'm one of the reasons why I support Arsenal because of our values, because of our morals. And I think, well, you know what? I, that's great. But every now and again, you got to decide. Well, actually, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? How elite do you want to be? Because other people are just doing what's required to be better. Uh, yeah, other football clubs are absolute bastards. Yeah, they are <laughs> bastards at every fucking level. And, and, and we're trapped in our arsenal morals. We, yeah. We're trapped in them, or we've yeah. just been bastards to ourselves. You know, and made yeah. the, the the wrong decisions along the way. And I'll tell you, you know, one thing. I think um, not that it gives me great optimism, but I I suspect over the last little while there has been some slight change at ownership level. And this isn't to back KSE or anything like it. But I think you know, for a long time they didn't have to worry. They didn't have yeah. to worry about anything. Really, it got a bit tetchy at the odd AGM and Stan would sit there and he wouldn't say anything. And Arson would get up and he'd pick up the microphone and he'd, you know, he'd captivate the room, you know, yeah. make everything better. And, and, you know, whether people hated Wenger or whatever else, you know, when he stood up there and he talked, he's a convincing talker and he, he you know, he yeah. said the right things and people, you know, um, but they, you know, we kind of, the consistency that we had as a football club meant they did not have to think. 
Yeah. They didn't have to make decisions, really. It was just like, well, we're top four the whole time. Champions League money is there. Here's some money for transfers. Go do it again. Oh, look, we've won the cup. That's nice. We've won a trophy. We're winning, blah, blah, blah. And now over the last, you know, three years, four years, the trajectory is 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 obvious. Everyone can see it. Uh, you know, I think they, they kind of thought they could just trust Ivan to put things in place. But in doing so, like you say, we left ourselves open to opportunists and we've taken a big hit. At the end of the day, this is a big organization that they own, that they, uh, like, I don't think some of the stuff that's happened behind the scenes will have gone down well with a big American corporate organization. I'll say that much. Yeah. Um, so it demands more from them now. It demands more. And I think we saw that with, with Tim Lewis being appointed to uh, to the board as a non-executive director, you know, uh, to provide yeah. some, kind of, some kind of oversight. So, you know, perhaps there is something to be, um, I'm not sure if pleased about is, is the right thing, but but some level of of oversight um, that might push us can't be a bad thing. Yeah, I obviously some of the yeah, some of the accidents since he's been on board have been quite decisive, right? And um, yeah, and, I, and I, again, I, I quite like them in you know in isolation. I think it's the right thing. We've we've heard some of the chat in the background, and it's the right thing. But how we build from here on in is not, you know, is up for debate, and. Did we need to overburden Arteta with that role? Because what it does now, it restricts our ability to manipulate the organisation appropriately. Because now you've said, we're here. So if we bring someone in over the top to be like a head of football, what does that mean to two other people yeah. who kill their careers? So you haven't given yourself any wiggle room. You can't, you know, how are you going to retitle the contracts guy? You know, what's that? So you've really said, this is who, you know, we're building the club's image in this guy, which is great. But if your centre-backs don't like him, or your centre-midfielders don't like this guy, then what? Right? And that's potentially what's happening right now. Right? Mm. So, And that happens in a dressing room. A dressing room culture is something else, mate. You get eaten by it or not. And the, that dressing room at Emery ate him alive, just mm. checked out on him right in front of us. He took his money and off he went. And, you know, whether you liked him or not, whether he could com- communicate with us or not, whether we believed his story or not, he wasn't a bad guy in the end, and he's showing that right now in his next job, right now, right? So, but he couldn't work with the group that he had, and that happens sometimes. You go to a job, you go to a firm. I don't fit this firm. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me how I behave and how it doesn't allow me to thrive. So I need to be out of here. It doesn't work for me. And that happens in everyday life for everybody, and it doesn't mean you're a bad person. And and it happened to Henry, and the dressing room met him. Is dressing room going to eat Arteta now? I don't know. And then we have to decide, are we going to let that happen? Yeah, well, that's it. Are you going to let the dressing room, like it's uh, it's one of those things that like if they eat Arteta, they'll eat the next guy. You know, the next guy. They'll eat the next guy and the next guy. Like, is there not a, is there not, again, maybe it's not not right bringing it around to culture, but, you know, uh, and again, this uh, this really depends on results. You know how a manager is perceived and everything else. So we're not overlooking yeah. that. But but do you need maybe in order to change things, in order to effect the kind of change that you want, you've got to show that if you're 
the old guy, the experienced guy, the guy in the dressing room who's had the track record of falling out with this manager and that manager and that manager, that like at this club, you're the one that's going to go. That footballers, they don't hold all the power or as much power as they like to think they do. It, it's really important that I, I often hear me talk about, you know, we need the serenity of results because we really do need some results in the next two, three weeks. We really do because mm-hmm. this is getting serious. You know, every team seems better than us. I watched Fulham the other day and they looked pretty good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I watched them, honestly. I, I know, watched I know, them. They look really good. I'm thinking, crikey, we killed Fulham on the first day of the season. And now I'm looking at them. They've got shape. They, they look fast. They look athletic. I'm thinking, oh, my God, we've got to play Fulham. I'll be worried. Do you know what I mean? Because that's where mm. we are right now. That is where we are. You know, we managed to, you know, I was, I was sort of relieved after the Southampton game. But should I be relieved if I home point against Southampton? Well, historically, no. It doesn't make sense. But where we are right now, I feel relief was an appropriate emotion mm. last night, you know, and um, and so yeah, we're in a we're in a we're in a place, Andrew. We're in a, we're in a place where we need some calm to allow us to accept who we are and deliver a plan to change this once and for all, you know. And the only way we're going to get calm is by getting points. And as soon as we get some points, then we can breathe and go, okay, what are we going to do in January? Mm. What's the plan for the summer? We can get some movement. We're at the behest of transfer windows. So we have to do things in January. We have to accelerate things. We have to make, and this is where we need, do need support for ownership. We may have to wear some contract costs. We have to wear some loyalty payments. Let's not be too proud now. We've got a club to maintain here. Yeah, right. we've got a club to maintain and, and people are used to our club being where it is we are built in a certain way we have infrastructure we have everything in place to be this club we need to start being it and now if we're going to support this guy we need to support him financially so he can make those decisions to remove those people out of the dressing room that are causing him trouble and and he needs to sharpen his game up right simple as that yeah and and he needs to, it's not it's not all about the club. He's part of these decisions as well. So he's a sharp his game up. I'm sure he will with a few results. But if he doesn't get those results, mate, he will not be here. And that's it, because the club comes first. And if he's and if he's not able to turn dressing room around to produce performances, to produce results, then I'm afraid he like any other guy, he will he will pay the price. Mm. It is mad. It's just mad. like you. I did not expect to be here um, after what happened in the summer and winning the cup and everything else. But uh, I guess going back to that word acceptance that you used, um, it yeah. could be applied across the board here that the acceptance of what's happening in the very short term uh, and the acceptance of what we need to do in the medium and long term um, are, are equally important. Um, so, yeah, we'll wait and see. Big game, of course, this weekend against Everton, away from home. Uh, can he return to his former club and, and take a win? I hope so. I hope so. Um, as ever, Clive, uh, great talking to you. You know, if people don't listen to the Arsenal Vision podcast, they should. It's a great podcast, really interesting stuff um, uh, after every game. So do check it out. Keep fingers crossed for the weekend, Clive, and we'll catch you soon. Thanks, mate. Love to chat. Cheers. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. 
Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Follow Clive on Twitter at Clive P A F C. That's at Clive P A F C. And he is part of the Arsenal Vision Podcast crew, which you can find at arsenalvisionpodcast.com and, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. We do have a big game on Saturday evening. Of course, we travel to Goodison Park to take on Everton, who are playing better than us right now. But that, I think, is applicable to pretty much every other football team on the planet. I don't just mean in English football. I mean everywhere. The Milton Keynes under-8s third reserves would probably be a challenge for us right now. So uh, that's what we've got to contend with. Hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe, you never know. I'm talking myself into the idea that it might be okay. I'm not that convinced. I'm not that confident. But we will preview that game for Patreon members. Myself and Lewis Ambrose will do our usual Patreon preview pod. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash arseblog if you're a member. If you're not a member, you can sign up for just a fiver a month. You get instant access to all the content and all the other Patreon benefits. Don't forget to check out Arsebiz as well. Arsebiz.arseblog.com I know we're getting close to Christmas, so maybe it won't work for Christmas shopping, but if you are looking to do some shopping uh, for anything at all, maybe you can help support a fellow Arsenal fan. We've got a list of hundreds of Arsenal fans who run their own businesses and services and everything else, and you can find them all at arsebiz.arsblog.com. All nicely filtered and categorized so you can find exactly what it is that you're looking for. Okay, we will leave it there. Thank you very much again for being here. Thanks for listening, for downloading, for all the comments and all the feedback. It's hugely appreciated by everybody here uh, who works on the site. Uh, James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra. Fingers crossed. Man, what we wouldn't give for a goodly morning. So let's hope that somehow we can, you know, do that crazy thing that we used to do and win a game of football in the Premier League. Let's see what happens. Enjoy your weekend. Talk to you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Not too worried about these corners. I mean, it might come back to bite me here, but I think Tottenham have got the dominant dominancy in the air there, you know. So 
Not sure anyone can get the head on the first ball for Liverpool, apart from that one. Oh, oh Sim! Oh, it's Firmino in the 90th minute. Wow, what a header. Not sure anyone can get the head on the first ball for Liverpool, Liverpool, Liverpool. What a header. I think Tottenham have got the dominant, dominancy in the air there, you know, some dominancy in the air. What a header. It might come back to bite me, bite me, bite me, bite me, bite me. What a header. I'm too worried about this corner. Firmino in the 90th minute. What a header, 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 header. holiday season treat yourself treat yourself to candy celebrate the holiday season with the holiday crush they've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun packed challenges every week for five whole weeks finishing on january 4th the more challenges you complete the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards so are you ready to crush the holidays play the holiday crush now download it from the app store google play or windows store for free terms and conditions apply